In the week preceding the highly anticipated and long-delayed EU-AU summit in Brussels, our Head of Outreach and Impact, Virginia Muki, sat down with Filomena Apico, who leads our work on AU-EU relations, to understand what the summit might mean for the partnership between the two continents. What are the main topics on the table? Where do Africa and Europe see eye to eye? And where can real progress be made? Filomena shares her views. So Filomena, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about the upcoming EU-AU summit on the 17th, 18th of February. Uh, will it actually uh, take place this time? Uh, and who is gonna be there? And what kind of format will it have? Thank you so much, Virginia. Knock on wood that it actually happens this time around. As you know, it was postponed uh, from the previous one, which was almost four years ago in Abidjan. And, and, and actually, it was meant to be held in 2020, but that was postponed because, as you know, we, that we were all hit with the COVID pandemic. Uh, to my knowledge, the format it will take is that it's going to be a hybrid um, uh, summit, which means that some people will be physically present in Brussels while others will join online. But of course, this may be changed as we await the finalization. Um, on, on who will be physically there, <laughs> that's anyone's guess. From the EU side, of course, because it's happening in Brussels, it may be easier for the officials to attend. But from the African side, this will depend, of course, on a number of factors, including the rules around the COVID-19 pandemic. Expectations are that the African Union chairperson, President Macky Sall of Senegal, will be present to represent the union at least. And um, all I know is that from the African Union rules of participation, all member states are invited. So it will depend on each head of state whether they will attend physically or, or via the hybrid uh, format. Yeah, and what are the main topics that are going to be discussed? Ooh, topics. I think this is going to be one of the really loaded uh, summits we've seen. As I said, it's been postponed already. And between then, a lot has changed, you know, in the global test, in, in the global context, a lot of geopolitics around it. So for me, I expect to see first on the list, the issue of health systems and vaccine production. From the African side, this is really a priority. As you know, there's still really low levels of vaccination on the continent. And I would see that this would be a key area for cooperation with the EU. Then the next one I would see would probably be economic growth, jobs, trade, and investment. On the continent, we have the, 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 the free trade area, which of course promises to, to, to boost industrialization and job creation on the continent. And I would see that it would be logical for the EU to support African Union in this endeavor. Next, I would say is also private sector development, um, issues around vocational training, education, which is actually a plus since we're trying to have more youth employment on the continent. Um, peace and security, which has been the mainstay of this cooperation from the get-go. I don't see why it would not be in the list, but also especially given the rising terrorism on the continent, I think it's, it's vital that this, this partnership is strengthened to address some, some new uh, threats on the continent. Uh, next of all, I would see climate change and energy transition. The COP27 will be held in Egypt this year, so it's important that these discussions around climate change and energy transition are held really meaningfully so that we can come to a solution you know, for the continent as well. And then, of course, we have some of the uh, contentious issues like migration and mobility, which has been part of the partnership, even from the previous one in Abidjan. But of course, they've been diverging um, interests and viewpoints on this. And one, one that I see also really being important is the reallocation of the special drawing rights, which will 
enable African countries and, and other countries worldwide to be able to recover from the economic post-COVID crisis. The EU is often described as a one block, but as we know very well, it's a very divided because member states have uh, very different views on many different issues. And probably this is the same at African Union level, right? Um, what are the big battle lines between African countries when it comes to the relationship with the EU? And are there some specific common position on the AU side on key topics? This is a very important, I think, question that <laughs> will sort of guide how their discussions at the summit will go, areas of their divergence and convergence. Let me first begin with the African side and, 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 and their common positions. I would say there seems to be consensus on how the AU will, will present itself at the summit, given the AU's move to speak with one voice. As you know, part of the AU reforms was something that came up quite clearly, the need for the union to speak with one voice in international uh, forum. So I think on their side, it could, uh, I, I, I foresee consensus on issues like peace and security, terrorism, violent extremism, and medicalization are really challenges the continent needs to deal with immediately. Also the issue of local production of vaccines. Uh, we've seen support from member states. For now, we have, for example, South Africa, Ghana, Rwanda, and Senegal, which could potentially be hubs for regional production as well. And then, uh, when it comes to issues of divergence, where I see the battle lines, of course, the first one I would speak to would be the issue of climate change and energy transition. And be it there are countries that actually are supporting this and are ready to embrace renewables. However, you also have countries that still are apprehensive about this because they want to be given the opportunity to still tap into their fossil fuels and, and gas reserves, which is necessary for not only industrial development, but also consumption uh, within homes to have steady energy supply. So this is why it's important, I would say, for the African Union countries themselves to also have a common position ahead of COP27 on climate change and just energy transition. But that's the plan, right? To have a common position. Well, I think that's the plan because, as I said, they, they already have also a high-level meeting of, of heads of state that are in charge of, of climate change. And this is one of the issues that has been proposed to have a common position on this. I think this only makes sense if they really speak with one voice to be united on this. Some people have also maybe like said, well, even with this summit, like last year, the mini summit where, when France only invited the Francophone countries and why were the Anglophone countries not invited, things like this. That has always been there within the African Union, the, the Francophone-Anglophone sort of divide. It's mostly when it comes to like leadership positions, how they vote for things in the African Union, you know, who, who supports who. But um, overall, I would say that when it comes to, to, to what the AU agrees on as heads of state, once they agree on something at the summit, then it's usually like, okay, we'll put this as our, our, our viewpoint. But you don't think it's going to be a Francophone agenda because, because of the EU French presidency and the Senegal African presidency? depends on who's attending the summit. So if only <laughs> French countries attend, then it's easier for them to have a united uh, voice. If it's differing from what, for example, Nigeria and South Africa have to say, then that's different. Where do you think actually there will be some real progress at the summit in Brussels? That's a good question. <laughs> we, I, I know the summit, sometimes people see it as, as uh, you know, with, with their as a disappointment, you know, nothing is really achieved. But I believe, you know, progress could be made at least on the health front. And I say this 
be it through vaccine sharing, support to health manufacturing, or even supporting health system. And why I say this is because on the health front, the African Union itself is actually progressing on a number of, of initiatives. They have established the partnerships for vaccine manufacturing, which is really focusing on local production. And from the last AU summit, we also learned now that they've elevated the, the status of the African CDC, which deals with pandemic response. It's been made autonomous to give it more flexibility to, to actually deal with um, rising pandemics or epidemics on the continent. They've also established an epidemic fund, as well as plans for a continental work task force that will deal specifically with pandemic epidemics. And I think this provide avenues for the EU to actually tailor its support to what Africa is already doing, which is why I see there could be a lot of progress made here. Of course, it's not to say that there have not been uh, some <laughs> uh, negative sentiments towards the cooperation on health so far. If you recall last year already, we had cases of vaccine hoarding and even the promises of vaccine sharing have not been met to date. But I believe with uh, honest conversation around this and commitment made to what the AU is already doing, there could be an avenue for better cooperation on the health front. And then on peace and security, like I said, it's been one of the, 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 the main focuses of, of the co of cooperation so far. But we have seen that it's mostly been on peace support operations. Well, as from the African side, now with the merger of the political affairs and peace and security commissions, as you know, before there were two separate commissions, now they are under one commissioner. It's important that the, that the support also is given to early warning and conflict prevention mechanisms, which are important on the continent. So this is one area where the support could also see some success. However, the financing around peace and security also needs to be addressed. As we, uh, I mean, as some of you are aware, we now have the European Peace Facility, which replaced the African Peace Facility previously, which was tailored to supporting the AU's peace and security architecture. And now there's some concerns being raised, but that with a new mechanism of financing, the European Union will be bypassing the African Union and being able to support member states also through lethal weapons bilaterally. So some are concerned about this funding mechanism. I mean, the countries that are okay to, to get bilateral funding outside the AU from, from the EU, the Sahel region, the countries there that could possibly say, oh, we don't care if the money goes through the APSA system. As long as we're getting money to fight terrorism, we're okay with that. But then they, some countries say, no, the funding should be through the AU system. You know, it shouldn't be that, 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 that they're able to get bilateral funds that are derailing the AU's architecture of peace and security. But it's also true that, you know, from the European side, you hear that, yes, it is the European peace facilities, European money, the Europeans have the right to decide how to spend it, right? That's, I mean, th that could be, but then if, if uh, 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 the, the African Union has invested in this APSA for so, for so long and the EU has been supporting and then to now, when they're supposed to be silencing the guns by 2030, sort of derailing from the, the roadmap that the African Union had already set out, then you have to wonder whose interests are being catered for here. But overall, I think that the, 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 the security relationship is something that we'll see progress on as well. And then the last one I would say, which is on oh, the second last one, I would say, where I see areas for support, of course, is with, is with the economic growth, job creation and investment. We have the African continental free trade area, which is really being a landmark flagship project. There's been a lot of uh, uh, media attention around it, a lot of in involvement from, from different actors around it. And this is where I see the EU could really tailor support to support uh, the, the, the African Union with, the, with industrialization, 
regional value chain creation, which ultimately lead to job creation. So this is an, an, an area for progress, I would say. And the last one, which sometimes gets not uh, so much attention, is cooperation and multilateralism. I feel like the partnership should extend to having joint support and maybe communications, joint, joint positions, for example, at the World Trade Organization with the reforms there. The World Health Organization as well provides an avenue for them to have uh, more cooperation. We've, we've, we've seen cooperation in the past, like the EU supporting African candidates in international fora. And uh, there's also plans for a pandemic treaty. And I see this is where they could work together to have uh, cooperation, as well as before the UN Security Council. Going back briefly to the element of investment and trade and jobs creation, uh, one of the things that you mentioned before was the redistribution or reallocation of uh, the drawing rights. Um, that is this IMF part of the reserve that should go from potentially European countries um, to African countries. Is that something that is likely to happen? Do you see it uh, as a reality or is it just mostly some sort of African countries pushing for it? Uh, what has been the European response? Well, um, to, to, to be an optimist, I hope that it happens, but we, we should also recall that the ambition was not only from the African side. Uh, 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 French President Emmanuel Macron and the G7 and G20 actually had made a global ab ambition to voluntarily reallocate the SDRs to the equivalent of 100 billion US dollars to countries that are most in need. The, the, the share that Africa got from the 650 billion US dollars SDRs equivalent was only 33.6. So you do see that there's a need to shift some of the, the SDRs, especially during rights, that wealthier countries have towards African countries who need it most for the post-COVID recovery. Have we seen commitment uh, thus far? To my knowledge, not all European member states have committed to this. There are some examples of uh, France, I think Spain, Italy, that, that, that have made uh, some, some, some commitments towards this. But it would be an area where I feel there could be more frank discussion you know, amongst uh, the, the, the leaders at the summit on how to uh, allocate these SDRs and the mechanism through which it can be done effectively. Because, yeah, you talk about frank discussions, because at the end of the day, these summits very rarely, and eh, not just the AU, EU, but also generally also the EU with Asia and others, very rarely bring about great change. And there's a lot of photo ops, a lot of handshakes and great intentions on both sides. Do we know uh, if there is anything that... Uh, will hold leaders accountable to what they might agree at this summit? Um, yes. I think first that is that um, from the, the African side, with, with the previous ministerial that happened in Kigali, if, if you remember that, they, they decided to have a joint um, monetary mechanism because I think the problem with the partnership has been that, that the lack of follow-through, you know, the lack of monitoring to see if actually the commitments made have been honoured. And I feel this time we have from the African side really a, a, a shift in how um, the leaders, but also the priorities that they have. You know, it's not just going there to attend to Brussels. They have sat down, they've thought about what the priorities for the African Union are, and they're, they're actually going with a, with a stance this time. And I feel this is something that will change the dynamics a little bit. That is not just the, the old school donor recipient, but more meeting of minds to discuss what is important and how the, 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 
the cooperation can actually go forward, you know, meaningfully for both continents. I think this is the difference that you will see. Of course, the leadership uh, um, matters and President Makisal has really from the get-go just, you know, taken the helm and, 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 and he's really running with it. And, you know, we've seen really bold statements from him on issues around uh, also even the, even the special during rights relocation on issues around peace and security. So I feel that with the, with the, with the, with the, with the AU where it is today, making 20 years, 20 years this year, we've seen a shift in the way the African leaders will engage with the EU. So I'm hopeful that we'll see uh, frank discussions around the topics and of course, commitments to fulfill them. Maybe just one, one point to say that I think is also very important is the attention this is also getting from non-state actors. We've seen that the commission is open to having discussions around some of the topics of the summit with private sector and civil society, which is actually an improvement because as I said, ultimately, the commitments made have to be meaningful for the people on the ground. So it's good that we have uh, non-state actors involved in these discussions as well to make the partnership real. Filomena, thank you so much. And let's see then what happens at the summit. Thank you.